Hi, I'm J.D. Stillwater, a science ambassador and a preacher of the gospel of science, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and we are back from a very long break. And welcome to episode 135. Woo-hoo. And because we've, we've been on this huge break since, I think, before the holidays, it's like so long, I don't even remember now. So what have you been doing <laughs> during the, the winter I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> late, well, late fall, early winter. I did the holiday stuff. You know, we 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 celebrated Yule, and I I, I hung out on Christmas. Did some other things, and I've been hibernating a little bit less. Getting out to a couple of meetups. Uh, I went to a poly meetup recently, which was nice, just to get back in touch with folks. But taking a break from news to some degree, which has felt good, I think we we are going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, yeah, on Patreon. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I just met throwing that out there. There you go. <laughs> I'm basically okay. I've got spring fever. We're in that that sort of fake spring right now <laughs> in uh, New Jersey. It doesn't feel fake to me. It and might it stay. Feel- it- it might stick. It doesn't feel fake to the to everything that's coming up. I know. It, it's, it's We are like, yeah, all of my perennial tulipy things and lilies and irises, they're all poking their heads up right yeah. now. And I'm just hoping it stays unseasonably warm so they don't get killed. Yeah, so. I, I, I hope <laughs> so, too. I try to not get my, I try not to adapt to it until it's a little later but anyway yeah that's another whole thing but yeah i'm good how are you well the break's been kind of interesting i'm I'm trying to count the number of funerals i've been to uh Uh, (laughs) since we stopped going since we stopped doing shows yeah and and that kind of feeds into some of our topics today but yeah it's people have been people in our family and friend circles have just been dying so <laughs> that really sucks. <laughs> and I know I'm it's like I'm smiling and laughing cuz like what else you you have to do that or or you're just going to be hearing me moaning and weeping and nobody wants to hear that. So <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> so I'm, my, I'm, I'm, again, sorry. I've been stay I've been staying away from the news and and what else happened? Oh yes, and over the weekend because I have cousins who are about to have a baby and I wanted to make them a blanket and I managed to sew over my index finger and right through the fingernail. And, uh. <laughs> and so I also have that to deal with too. Hooray. And I'm kind of like, I, I'm kind of scared of my sewing machine right now. So, wow. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been eventful for you. I don't know oh, that yes. that's a good thing. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm glad to be back in touch with our listeners. And I, I, I felt a little bit at sea and not really in the yacht rock way, but just sort of a little like just, you know, adrift. So it's, I, I, I'm glad to have this back on our, our schedule. Yeah. So, yeah. And actually this season, it's going to be a freeform season. We've done a couple of themes in the last couple seasons uh, where our interviews were, you know, sort of focused. And this time we're going to have some very different topics over the season. And I'm looking forward to having an, some eclectic conversations. And today we'll yes. be... Yes, absolutely. And today we'll be sharing my interview with science ambassador and author J.D. Stillwater. He spoke with us way back in April of 2020 for episode 79 that called The End of Certainty. And this time we had a good conversation about the environment, changing paradigms, and religious naturalism. So I am looking forward to sharing that. But before that, Wendy and I are going to head into the blanket fort and have some uh, some deep conversations and connect around issues of loss and grieving, as Wendy said, is kind of really up for her right now. Rele so. It's relevant. Yes. Relevant. <laughs> it's very topic. relevant. Yes. And, and I, I just want to say, I think... One of the reasons we're doing a, a free form season is because this is not a presidential election year. And I don't want to start talking about that until absolutely necessary. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to make us already, but I know, I know. It's not. like, God, could you just leave us, just give us some peace for a few months. Holy shit. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> As always, you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday, and we would love it if you subscribe to the show on our website, leftscape.com, or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're on our site, please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. That's right. And we are on social media at Leftscape. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and perhaps uh, some others in the future. We will keep you posted. And we always love to hear from you, and your reviews really help us out. Yes. And on Patreon, which we have a Patreon, supporters can listen to our exclusive segment, We Should Be Recording This. And you can join us at any level starting at just $1 a month. In our February segment, we talk about how we protect ourselves from the news. Yes, I do want to actually just give a little shout out too. Thank you for every to everybody who's been listening uh, during our break. We had a number of Redux episodes where we present you know, favorite interviews of ours and, and listeners, you know, as other people have been listening to some older episodes, just sort of going back through the catalog. So I really, we really appreciate that. It has been great to hear from you. So I want to give a shout out to Leslie, especially for helping us keep our show notes up to date so people can know, you know, how to get in touch with some of our interviewees and to Tony Rogers, who has been sharing some tweets and, it's always something cool that we can reshare or possibly pick up for discussion. So we really love that interaction. And now it's time for random facts and the news. Random fact number one. In the summer of 2020, what was once Al Capone's Berlin, New Jersey, four-bedroom hideaway house sold for $1.3 million. He lived there for about a year, starting in 1927, to hide out from authorities and stayed until he was busted on a gun charge. I 
didn't even know he lived in New Jersey for at all. So that's yeah, I had a interesting. little stint there. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And my fact is German dog trainer Wolfgang Lauenberger earned a Guinness World Record in February of 2023 for the most dogs in a conga line. And this would not normally be interesting to me, except for he took the record away from his own daughter, Alexa, when he got 14 dogs into a conga line compared to the nine dogs Alexa managed in 2022. And I, I think <laughs> that was pretty damn cold of him. <laughs> That's funny. And I've and I was been watching videos of both of them doing the dog conga lines and it's it's very entertaining so we'll we'll put a i'll put a link up to the the award-winning conga line <laughs> oh and and after a break here is all of the news here's probably more than all of the news we can handle So the first bit of news came in yesterday. We were recording on Monday, so I saw this news Sunday afternoon or evening that President Jimmy Carter has entered hospice care. He is 98, has lived an amazing life, and I guess he, you know, I'm not sure all that's happened. I know that a lot of health stuff has happened for him in recent years, a number of falls and things like that. And he has chosen to not be hospitalized anymore and just be, you know, comfortable at home. So it's, uh, you know, he's awesome. He's the first president that I remember really rooting for as a kid to win the election. So I have, I've got feelings about him. I think he's a good, he's a good man. And I I wish him, you know, peace. A pain-free transition yes into the next part of the journey however you want <laughs> to call it i didn't meet him meet him but i was in atlanta for a science fiction convention and i was at a fancy sunday brunch in a hotel next to the convention center or something it was probably in the hilton where we were staying and suddenly everybody's like quiet and turning around and it was Jimmy Carter walking through the dining room into the private area where he was going to have his brunch and and this was this had to be I want to say something like 1980 early 1980s so it's had to be I don't know sometime in the 80s I don't remember the year so Re point. so Reagan was president yeah then. he wasn't okay. president anymore he was okay. this was after his pres definitely after his presidency uh -huh. and but the man you know it, it's like when you i don't know if you've ever been around famous people who have like charisma like if you're playing D, &D like a, a 18 is like the max you can get on a stat so he's got <laughs> like a charisma of 20 is all i'm geek. saying it's like <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, but it I, was but like I this get it, aura yeah. of charisma, like that's like just surrounding him, like twenty feet out. It, it's just, uh, you know, wow. and it was kind of jaw dropping and just walking through, waving at everybody, everybody's just giving him a like a standing ovation just for like existing. So wow. that's my Jimmy Carter story. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! I love that. Ah, <laughs> uh, anyway. That way you won't, I won't pull it back out after he passes and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the next news item 
is a sudden stratospheric warming event, or SSW, is predicted for this week, I think in, in Europe. These weather phenomena are not uncommon, and they're also responsible for the polar vortex events that we are seeing in the United States. It's something has to do with the upper atmosphere gets warm, and then it, it kind of pulls the, the Arctic coldness down into our funnels it between the two mountain ranges in the United States, like the uh, <laughs> the Western Range and then the Appalachians. These weather phenomena, they're not uncommon, and they are also responsible for the heat waves and droughts that are happening in the Southern Hemisphere, particularly in Argentina, which is expect which is experiencing their warmest November to January period since 1961. And they're having some droughts in some areas. And I bring this up, well, other, other, you know, because of the global warming portion of this and also that Argentina and a lot of countries in South America provide the United States with pretty much most of their fruit, at least on the East Coast in the winter. It all gets shipped up from down there because they're having summer now. So that's just something that's happening and and uh, we should just be aware of, is all. I'm sure you're aware. In fact, I was a little bit grateful of not doing news when this first happened because we've had a number of disasters around the world uh, recently. So I'm sure you're aware of the, the earthquake. earthquake earthquake <laughs> in Turkey earthquake. and uh, that that rocked Turkey and Syria on February 6th. And it's just kind of really unimaginable, the numbers of people that are not with us anymore because of this. But you can actually help. That's the main, I felt like if there's something we can say that's positive in the face of this, the best way to do it is to send money to reputable organizations, really. Say a lot of people want to send stuff and that that it's not managed well when that happens. So International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Disaster Response Emergency Fund. We will have a link on our show notes. That is a main way to reach out to people. And another simple, very productive way is to reach out to it's action.publicgood.com. And there's a fund there that you can, it actually helps like 36 reputable organizations. So that's another way mm. to to give. And you could also explore each of those and see if there's any that appeal to you that you would like to give to directly as well. So those both of those links will be in our notes. Yes. I'm not happy about reading this one because I look at the foreign news, which I have really not been paying attention to over the last two months. And when I did pay attention to them this morning, it was just really very sad. Many parts of the world are turning more and more fascist as we sit here. In Bangladesh, the only newspaper of Bangladesh's main opposition party has stopped publishing after a government suspension order was upheld, stoking fears about media freedom in that South Asian nation. The Pakistani Taliban militants launched a deadly suicide attack on the police headquarters of Karachi, Pakistan's largest city on Friday. And in Afghanistan, Taliban fighters there have stopped the sale of contraceptives in two of Afghanistan's main cities, claiming their use by women is a Western conspiracy to control the Muslim population. 
The Taliban has been going door to door, threatening midwives and ordering pharmacies to clear their shelves of all birth control medicines and devices. And I know the whole thing with our presence in Afghanistan was a clusterfuck of ridiculous proportions, but I don't know. I don't know how we could have saved the people in there. And, and I really feel for all of these women and men, but yeah, you go ahead, say something. <laughs> I'm basically speechless. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And then, and then I read a thing. I don't have a link and it's not an official news story, but in Florida, DeSantis had replaced the board of this college and they fired the president and there was a letter circulating around Facebook that I, I shared over the weekend that from alumni from this college. And it's a prestigious liberal arts college in Florida. And what they're describing sound, you know, with this purge of, of the president and they're looking at professors to get rid of. And it really, really, really reminded me of what was happening in Germany a hundred years ago. So that's Florida. I mean, Florida is still part of the United States. <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. But shit's getting real all over the place. Yeah. So I guess that's a good segue to my next item. I did read that article that you posted <laughs> yesterday, too, by the way. And I was thinking it would be a one of your pieces. But there's no time. We don't even have time for all of it. <laughs> so... This one, to me, it comes from the absurdity department, <laughs> but it's it's funny, not funny. So Senator Daniel Emmerich of Montana introduced a bill stating that Montana schools cannot teach scientific theory. So obviously showing that he has no idea what scientific theory is or means. <laughs> he doesn't understand the meaning of words. Right. So, yeah, it limits science education to science fact, basically. So you can't teach, you know, gravity. You can't teach. <laughs> There's just a whole list of things that, like, if, if you're going to list everything that is called a theory in science, there's a lot that oh, you can't so talk about. Anything anything tagged as a scientific theory is now it would be verboten under the Montana if this passes. Basically, you know, because he's like he's thinking, like, oh well, evolution is I... only a theory, so let's not teach theory. But then there's atomic theory, cell theory, you know, germ theory, the Big Bang theory, yes. anything that's called yes. a theory. <laughs> And, you know, the scientific method is vital and students' understanding of it is really, you know, that's crucial to just a basic education. Uh, it To me, it sounds so absurd. And obviously, you know, students and faculty and everybody you like are, are up in arms about this. It sounds so absurd that it can't stand, but we also thought a lot of things wouldn't happen though. <laughs> You know, yeah, so, I, I think I think the way to look at it is, you know, I, I it is funny, but it's also really scary. And I think I would like to just be a, more aware of the, the 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 school systems where I live. And if there's a way that I can help maintain some kind of sanity, I mean, I don't have kids in school, but I think 
other people who have no business in school systems are trying to put their influence into it, you know? So I, I feel like maybe we all <laughs> need to be more aware of what's happening and if, if those kinds of energies are brewing and try to try to stop these things before they happen. Cause it's just, that's just nuts. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. So. I, yeah. I, I, some part of me is, is wondering what else is going on in Montana that they don't want people to know about. So they're going to like concentrate on this. And as we learned in one of our prior interviews, I think it was last season or the season before, it's a lot easier to kill a bill than it is to get one passed. Right. So Montanans, wake the fuck up and kill the bill and get rid of this idiot senator <laughs> in your state house. Like exactly. the two Montanans that might be listening to this podcast. You I never Montana's, know. Yeah, I know. I know. I think Montana's a pretty red state, though. Yeah. And our final news item of the day, uh, it's a good one. So you can take a, you can breathe now. Um, <laughs> the conservation work that has be, been done to bolster the monarch butterfly population is working. The latest survey of overwintering sites across coastal California and Arizona, volunteers tallied 335,479 individual monarchs. This season's results are a welcome reprieve from the dismal total of less than 2,000 individuals counted in 2020 and larger than the 250,000 counted last year. 335,479 is squarely back into what was considered normal in the date ranges of 2000 to 2017. So our efforts of planting, you know, butterfly friendly plants Hmm. like milkweed and the other, you know, pollinator friendly gardens across the country is making a difference. So keep up with it if you're doing that. And if you're not doing it and you have access to planting areas, plant something. (laughs) Plant something for pollinators because we need them to live. And that is all the news we can handle. That is. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a good story. I like that. Are you ready to expand your education? Are you sure of your calling, but just keep getting slowed down by life's minor inconveniences? Are you excited to take your privilege beyond those useless, acceptable limits? Sounds like you're ready for the Karen Academy. Start out in a virtual classroom, then take it to the streets. At the Karen Academy, choose from beginner courses like Demand to Speak to the Manager, Send Back the Entree, Line Cutting, and Hairstyling 101. Then, take our advanced courses to become the expert Karen you already know you are. Choose from Upgrade Me to First Class Now, Advanced Department Store Tantrums, How to Stop a Person of Color from Working, Driving, Jogging, Barbecuing, or Birdwatching, or Specialize in I Don't Need a Mask, This is Tyranny! Enroll in the Karen Academy at karenacademy.edu, where your wish is everyone's command. Karen Academy, no relation to any nice Karens you may know. So welcome to the Blanket Fort, where where we talk about our issues while we're hiding from them. I, 
<laughs> well, sometimes it's, we it's, sometimes we address, sometimes we hide. So it's kind of what what our emotions yeah, need. Right? I'm thinking about. Yeah, I'm thinking about blanket fort. Why I ha- why you make a blanket fort in the first place? Right. Kind of to hide <laughs> from things and yeah, and then you go into like when then we talk about that. I guess I wanted to bring up this topic because it slapped us in the face again, and and the topic is grief and death. Over and and it's what is it? it's February right now. I don't know when this particular segment is going to air, but over the last few months we lost my father-in-law and we lost my uncle and we lost a sister cousin i don't know what to call her but <laughs> she was someone in in my in in my spouse's family who was getting i guess her parents were unable to care for the large amount of children that they had so the family was getting put into the system in Pennsylvania and because she was a niece of my mother-in-law they placed her in their house as like uh, like at age five or six and she was raised in my husband's house so she was technically she was genetically a cousin but emotionally a sister mm-hmm Let's put it that way. That's why I call her a sister cousin. Cause, and she died a few weeks ago, actually. And, and, and her death was a shock. And it was um, an overdose of heroin. heroin. It could have been heroin. Yeah. It could have been heroin. They were doing... She had been clean for a number of years. She, was a, she was, had a lot of problems with substance abuse. And she was clean for about five years. And then recently she wasn't anymore she relapsed and i don't know if it was because of poppy's death in october or not but it could have been you know it could have been her having to deal with the death of basically her father and that might have pushed her back over the edge i don't know i don't know the details i had emotionally distanced myself from this person years ago because of other behavior she was doing that death didn't affect me like the other ones did and I was able to then basically hold space for you know my daughter and my husband who were having a lot of problems dealing with her death which we're still we're still actually dealing with it I think her remains are still at the funeral home because the rest of her immediate family is in Pennsylvania up in the Scranton area I think and you know they can't really they haven't they haven't come down here to take stuff, so I'm not sure. Mm. You know, we're 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 still logistically. Are we are we are we picking up the stuff and shipping the things to her, or is she coming down? Are we are we doing a service? Or you know, we don't know. You know, that that's all up in the air. And like my father, my father-in-law's death wasn't really a surprise. It was one of those, you know, and I'm starting to see that there's a pattern here. It's like the last month or so of life is really shitty mm. <laughs> for a lot of people. You know, it's one of these, you know, you, if they're in, especially if they're in a care facility, you know, the, the, because the, the carers there, they see the decline and they go, okay, he's at this point where it's not going to get better. And, and I've, I've just, in, in my experience, like with my father, actually both my parents and my father-in-law, 
it's like there's a two to four week period of hell for those of us who are helping take care of them. And then they're dead. And then it's like, wow, it's it's only been a month, but it feels as you're going through it, it feels like it's because you don't know when it's going to end. And it's like this is when you're at the hospital or you're at their side for hours and hours a day. And they're maybe they're responsive or not very responsive, but you're holding their hands and talking to them and making sure that the staff at the place are taking care of him properly, because, you know, if you're not there, maybe they're not checking in on him as much. You know, yeah. so they're laying there in in pain or whatever. And, and it's it is not fun for the survivors. I mean, it's got can't be fun for the person who's dying either. But, uh, you know, but grief isn't about the, the person who's died. It's about the people who have survived this and and, you know, going through that last stage of illness. You know, I mean, actually, right now, I'm I we are now in the the period of time in 2009 where I was at, you know, I basically my life was eight hours a day at work and six to six to eight hours a day at the hospital broken up into a couple of of sessions where I was with my dad. Mm. And it was it was very much like that for Rich when his father was dying. He was spending a lot of time at the at the home and and then we were also spending a lot of time running around getting medical supplies that the home should have had but they were some suddenly out of for some reason which i was a little annoyed about but you know you have to do what you have to do you know because the guy's uncomfortable and we can help him be comfortable if we had these things like specifically that this case was a like those mouth sponges where yeah. you can swab their mouths and you know they ran out of them and they they weren't getting them in and the man's like his whole mouth was completely dry oh gosh because he's laying there yeah it was it you know and so we yeah, it's we were saying to see i'm glad you were able to take care of that yeah i was like you know number one why are you letting him suffer like this? And number two, why are there no sponges? At, you know, we went to like the normal like CVS and Walgreens and nobody had any. And then we went to this little, this little mom and pop pharmacy and they had tons of this shit. Mm. So it's like, now I know when you can't find stuff, go to the mom and pop pharmacies that aren't the chain, the national chain ones. Cause they'll have all the things that the chains out of mm -hmm. that they don't keep stocking. Oh. Just that's an FYI for, <laughs> for our listeners mm -hmm. but i've you know, actually noticed it, that like that sort of more medical yeah. equipment stuff i those places have it more often yeah yeah well i mean they had they supposedly had them at cvs but you know it was the empty shelf right they're they're not good at keeping things anymore I, I guess, you know, we could just yell supply chain, supply chain, <laughs> since, you know, that's the, that's, that's the new buzzword since the pandemic. Right. And I know every death is different, but I, I'm just making these generalizations, but it's also, you know, like for my uncle and, 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 uh, my, my husband's sister, these were, they were, you know, well, Mary was shot. Her name was Mary. And, and, and Mary was a shock and a sudden thing. And my uncle, to me, was a shock because nobody in that family bothered to tell me a month before that he's, he, you know, his kidneys are failing. Oh, gosh. You know, I got a call on Christmas Day from my aunt, who I haven't heard from in five years. And she goes, Uncle Al is dead. 
<laughs> I mean, we're Jewish, so I'm assuming Christmas didn't really register on her. And also because her husband just died. Her husband of 50, 60 years, whatever, maybe 70 years. Holy shit, because they're in their 90s and they got married as teenagers or something. Wow. So, yeah, they, they 75 years, I think, they were together. And he had died. And she called me to tell me that he died. And it was a shock to me because I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really heard from them in five years. So I'm, you know, if you don't hear from people, you think they're exactly the same as they were the last time you were in touch with them. You know, isn't that kind of true? You don't really think of them as aging or doing whatever. Yeah, and, they, I mean, yeah, your what, image of them. I mean, you, you imagine, oh, they must be different or this, or that, but you don't know. It's certainly if something major yeah. happens like that a major turn you wouldn't know but i'm sorry about yeah that. wow it was yeah i was uh and it was a shock and i was upset and then i had to go do christmas with the my catholic family <laughs> like wow this was so much fun honestly that whole thing it was good because i went to the funeral i don't think my aunt was really even expecting me to show up which i which i kind of thought was weird but we went and yeah, my daughter wanted to come and it and it was like I reconnected with my cousins, which was really nice. And my daughter got to meet her second cousins, which she kind of met some of them at some point during her childhood. But, you know, like the last time I think she saw the one cousin who's closest in age to her, the last time she saw her was probably more than five years ago. And maybe my last interaction with my aunt might have been more than five years. Yeah, you know, my sense of time, you know, 10 years was the 90s. It's like, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> really? It may have been longer than that. If but only. it's like, you know, because, yeah, it's just like somebody who was an infant the last time I saw them. I don't think she, yes, she was. She was there. She's about to graduate college. <laughs> so, you know, it's been a while, right. <laughs> but it was really great to see everybody again. And, and hopefully we won't let another 20 years go by before we see each other again, yeah. but we'll have to, that's a wait and see kind of thing. But, and it, the other, the one thing I really noticed was at my father-in-law's memorial service, the priest who really didn't know him you know, he gave this eulogy and it's about, you know, how he's now with Jesus and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And he didn't really talk much about any of the people who are still alive. Hmm. And when I went to my uncle's memorial service, the rabbi who didn't know my uncle spent time talking about how you deal with grief. He talked a bit about my uncle, but it was also, I mean, the other difference was, and this is a, this is a, my family kind of thing. We, we, we like to have the people in my generation. I mean, my parents and my aunt and, and, and my uncle, when we would all get together, it's like all of the great, all of us kids would have to do a thing. Like, I, like at my grandfather's hundredth birthday, we each, presented something like a speech or i mean i made a video because that's my medium i guess i don't birthday, know that's awesome uh, wow you know i wrote a song i wrote a song i cut all the all the home movies into like a grandpa video and played it for everybody and 
Yeah, it was I, I was I was digitizing all the family movies and, and I made a little a little 10 minute thing and I did the soundtrack, you know, because it was, you know, but anyway, that's what I did because I didn't have to get up and do anything live. <laughs> <laughs> and but at my uncle's funeral, you know, all my cousins and I think one of their kids all got up and spoke about him. And. And I think. I'm trying to remember. I think the rabbi talked at the beginning and it, he he bracketed those those presentations. And, you know, so after after the kids talked, you know, he was able to say more about Al and, and what a mensch he was, basically. But at the beginning, he was more interested in talking about you know, what death is, it's kind of, you know, the change of state and he, and he brings up physics where, you know, energy is not just, you know, it's neither created nor destroyed. So he's still here in a, in another form. And, and, and he was talking more to the people who were actually in the room and how we proceed from here. And I found that to be a whole lot more useful than thinking about, you know, Dick being, you know, hugged by Jesus out and up in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't know. I, I mean, that could just be my worldview, and I didn't find what the priest was saying comforting in any way. And the rabbi was like, "Oh, this is shit I can actually put into into use and think about, and and you know, get on with what we need to do." Right. So, I've heard <laughs> that I've heard that talked about as a hallmark of the different religions really has a more of a practical feeling about it or something like that and and that you're supposed to sort of really engage and grapple with the texts and the information and and learn from each other and and debate whereas yeah like catholicism is like it's handed to you and, and yeah the stories are okay told. so that's you know that's interesting that's if that's wow i you know i didn't I didn't think of it that way, but that makes sense because I mean, um, I was I had a coworker who was Lubavitch, I think he was very ultra orthodox, and he would bring the the book of I mean the Torah. I believe that they were working with was in five or six volumes, and he would bring the one in that they were doing the readings for that week, and you open up the page, and it's like. Each page of the Torah would be there, and then it would be surrounded with commentary from the various rabbis over the last few thousand years. Mm. And and sometimes one page of Torah text would take up 10 or 15 pages in this book with commentary. And they were, you know, basically arguing about what it means. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I didn't really get deep into it because I'm, you know, I was being very pagan at the time. So I was like, I, I acknowledged that this was there. You know, he wasn't trying to get me back into the fold or anything, but we had some interesting discussions over, over time. But yeah, I never really thought about it that way. That, mm. that our, that Judaism was not one of these that y you could talk about shit and change that. That's probably why there's you know, the, the Orthodox and the conservative and the reformed, the reformed versions right. in the United States. It's, you know, cause like the reformed don't, we don't keep kosher 
very much or at all. We're we're not required to keep kosher, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and it, and that could also be because Jews have had to kind of live in different cultures over time, you yeah. know, and not be we were separate but not. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. Well, how are you? How how was your heart with all the losses? <sighs> Tired. I don't want anybody else to die for at least a year. Yeah. <laughs> I tried. I tried putting a moratorium on death after my uncle died, but you know, then Mary had to go OD, and mm. that messed that up. Someone kind recently just said the her. same thing to me, where they had three <laughs> in a row, and they were like. I, let's make it stop and then another one happened already and it's like it's barely yeah, February it's, it's really it sucks yeah you know and it's also it's also the anniversary of Bat's death and it's just like you know and February's fucked up because I've had my dad and, and my best friend die <laughs> that same month I mean the time it's been a while I mean Bat's five years my dad is 14 years now. Yeah. So it it's not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and cry, but I also know don't watch certain TV shows during certain times because they're going to trigger me. Mm. I guess that this is also part of getting old. You know, part of getting old is you're surviving all of these other people. You're living longer than they are and they're all going to, you know, it's like my, by the time my dad died, none of his friends were alive. You know, and he was an only child, so he didn't have any family other than me. I think maybe there were cousins. There's cousins I've discovered through 23andMe that are from his, I think, I think we have a great grandfather in common. We haven't met in person yet, but she seems like a pretty cool lady. Mm. But yeah, I, I, you get, it's like there's certain things you have to do. From a practical standpoint, when a family member dies, and that and that all depends on how close you are, you know, like if you're the last, if you're next of, if you're the designated next of kin, then there's a big pile of stuff that you have to do. You have to give, you know, you have to designate how the body is to be handled by the funeral home like is it going to get buried is it going to get cremated and if it's cremated what do you do with the cremains yeah and you know and then you have to order the death certificates and you have to do all of the you know the estate stuff which can take a year up to a year you know there's this whole mess of shit that you have to do and the weird thing is that right and the weird thing is that i've dealt with a bunch of this stuff and it even talking about it now it feels like (laughs) <laughs> a big blur in my head because it's like wait i did a whole bunch of these things but i don't know how to do any of it because it's 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 so overwhelming that i yeah. feel like i don't know it's like a blur when i look back on yeah some of these it, things. well it is well it's it's a blur because this isn't what you want to be doing right you want to be grieving you want you know and you have to kind of i remember having to put all of that shit aside when my dad died because the first thing we had to do was get all his stuff out of the uh, out of the apartment because he died two days before the end of the month. Oh God! And if we let it there for three days, we'd have to pay another month's rent. 
and it wasn't cheap rent there. Right. You know, <laughs> it was it was like was it thirty five hundred a month or something to live at this place that he was at wow. the assisted living place, and yeah, well, I mean, it include meals and you know care, <laughs> so it wasn't cheap. So you know, we had the body moved to the funeral home, and then we my brother came flew in from Wisconsin, and we rented a truck and a dump. You know, we were taking stuff to the dumpster and just moving his stuff out of there and. And and it was a pain in the butt. And it's so who had time to feel anything at that point? And then we had, you know, and then we had to go through all of the legal stuff, right. which he mostly did. He was the executor. I mostly, you know, I went to the banks and got the paperwork and every bank needed different paperwork. It's like, why can't you guys just have one form that we can hand you? Right. It's like, no. <laughs> well, no. Everybody had different rules. It, you know, it, it's such a pain in the ass. And then, you know, the, the, and then it's like, after you think you've got it all done, the next year you have to file the taxes for the dead person for their last year of life. You know, right. it's like the last little insult. It really is. <laughs> <Like you> can... <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess one of the things when it's, you know, if you're the next of kin, I mean, at least we have been. We've been there for the next of kin because we aren't the next of kin. We can't make these decisions. So we've kind of been the middleman. I mean, I know it's got to be annoying for, for Mary's sister because, you know, it's the, the million texts and phone calls. But, you know, at least, you know, she tells us what we want to have done and we can make sure it gets done. And my sister-in-law has been amazing, you know, especially after my father-in-law died she was she was the one to carry the brunt of most of the dealings for arranging the funeral and doing all that other stuff and she was there for us for mary too because we had you know basically we had just gone through this already so we contacted the same funeral home and we you know there is a checklist but if you have people who are outside the family who who can stay sane to help you through this time to get through like the stupid paperwork or to just like hold your hand and listen to you bitch about the stupid paperwork. It It's certainly worthwhile. Yeah. And, uh, support is always good. Sorry. However, however you need. Oh yeah. It, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm, I don't know why I <laughs> want to say I hope because maybe that's a curse. I don't know. Something better for 2023, I hope, moving forward, honestly. Yeah. 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 Like, like not not having to deal with any more dead bodies for a while would be really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would really like that. And and it's like, you know, I'm amazed we got through the whole we got through the whole worst of the pandemic. I mean, I know it's not really over, but we got through 2020 and 2021 mm. with nobody dying. I mean, even you know, my father-in-law got COVID in a nursing home and survived it. And then, you know, now, now he's gone. Yeah. So, so I had some hard ones in those years. Surprise, uh, like just weirdness, but yeah, not family, but close, uh, basically family. Yeah. Two cases. And, uh, yeah, it's not, uh, and uh, I don't know. And I think maybe it was, weird because it wasn't COVID. It was like in the middle of this one thing you're worried about, suddenly this other thing happens, you know? Ah. 
or whatever, which is yeah, sucky. But <sighs> yeah, there's a lot of people who are dealing with that now, anyway, because we lost so many people. Yeah, over the last couple of years, I've been wondering <sighs> what the national and world effects will be of COVID because it's it it's like a world trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. So and it's yeah. What will be the character of like the, the country? We we lost over a million people in the United States. You know, is there something yeah. that will change energetically, or are we going to do what we usually do? What it feels like is happening is that everything's just going along like nothing's happened. But <laughs> when you do that, it's still there. The scar is still there. You know. So I wonder yeah. if there's like a national version of hiding from trauma in the aftermath of that, you know? And I'm not sure how the rest of the world is dealing with it, if it's similar or it's getting That's acknowledged somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I think maybe we're waiting for it to really be over over. Yeah. You know, if it mutates into something that makes it a cold instead of, you know, the organ, the organ and immune system fucking with disease that it is now, you know, if it, if it turns into something benign where, so it can survive without killing its host, like the common cold, then maybe, then maybe we'll be able to reckon with it. But, we're still in it, really. Who knows? Even though people are yeah. pretending like yeah. we're not, but we really we are. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, we have. Yeah. It's like it's like we've gotten to the to the stage where we can't keep hiding for some reason. So we have to get back out there. So anyway, nobody else die, please, <laughs> <laughs> please. Well, I'm excited to be here today with J.D. Stillwater. J.D. Stillwater is a graduate of Cornell University. Uh, he's a science ambassador and author who writes and speaks about profound insights from natural reality, insights that drive paradigm shifts and cultural awakening. He spoke with us first back in April of 2020 for episode 79, The End of Certainty. And that was mostly about his presentation, Seven Candles. But today he's got some other big ideas on his mind, like evolution, religious impulse, and the promise of religious naturalism. So I want to learn about what all that means. So welcome, J.D. Thanks for having me, Robin. Glad to be here. Yeah. So... I guess, you know, 2020, we were really in the thick of the the pandemic and a lot was going on there. And, and quite a bit yeah. about what you talked was talked about was informed by that. So I'm just wondering, you know, what have you been exploring since we last spoke well, and kind of where's what's that journey like? Yeah, things looked really bad at the time. And honestly, they don't look a whole lot better now, even as we, we seem to have come out of most of the pandemic. But it still seems to me like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Um, does it seem like that to you? Well, that's optimistic. <laughs> I mean, there's some good news, too, obviously. But, yeah, the, the progress on climate change, though there has been some, has been 
really too little too late. I mean, it fits that description really well. I think humanity is still in a pretty precarious place, especially when it comes to climate climate change and also just environmental degradation in general. The extinction rate has accelerated, not decreased. And, um, and in the time since the last time we spoke, I've come to believe that the problem is really our worldview, that there's something about our culture that, that drives us to to keep doing the same thing, you know, there's a famous Einstein quote about how you, you, if you try to solve problems with the same level of thinking that created them, you're just going to dig yourself deeper and deeper. And it, it seems to me like that's what we've been doing. And I think to get out of that, we have to change our culture somehow. But changing your own culture is, is not that easy. There's this old story you've probably heard that if you go and talk to a fish and say, hey, fish, how's the weather today? The fish might say, what the hell is what? I'm sorry, I'm screwed up. <laughs> if you if you ask a fish, "How's the water today?" They're going to say, "What the heck is water?" Because culture is the water we swim in, and it's really hard to see your own culture unless you can compare with somebody else's culture or have some kind of alternative. I think our culture is not very well aligned with the way reality itself works, especially the way the natural world works. So. That's where I've been at. Thank you. So that's bleaker than I usually hear from you. <laughs> but I guess it's, you know, but it's, it's honest. We're in a place where we aren't really heeding the messages that science is giving us in some ways. And I'm not sure that we, how do I want to say this? Unless we take a closer look at our culture, and that's beginning to happen. I am, I am seeing people do that. I'm not sure. I think that some of the progress we make is just going to cause additional problems down the road. But true to my message from a couple of years ago, I think science can help with this. I think if we want to align our, our culture with the way reality works, the way reality works would be a good place to start. And Right. Uh, so what are some of the things that that, that you've noticed or, or, you know, have gotten to understand that about what rea what reality is and how we're being different from it or not heeding it, I guess you could say. Well, first I would say that the, how we know how reality works is through science and the scientific community. And people from all different cultures and all different religious backgrounds engage in science discoveries. So it's the, it's the one source of knowledge that's truly intercultural and interfaith and, and global. And we could interpret what we know about reality from science the same way we interpret other kinds of scripture, except that science is a global scripture that's completely interfaith and intercultural. So, And why would we, you call it a scripture? Um, because it's a source of information and a source of insight. So, for example, when a Muslim is looking at the Quran, they see that as as reflecting a reality, a reality that their prophet or their God has shared with them. And, and that's the text, right? So the Quran is the text, and then they go about interpreting that text for their daily lives. Well, mm -hmm. we could treat what we know about reality and how it works as a kind of text. It's a source of knowledge that that then we can interpret it and, and ask ourselves, what does this mean for our lives and for our societies? 
Does that fall? It does, but for me, I think I'm reminded of the way that people treat religions as absolutely infallible, and and that's it. it it's causing right. more damage in my mind than science exploration does. If you think of it as a series of hypotheses, and that we're just working towards something and getting to understand more and more. Yeah, you know? I would say that's the major difference between the text, if you will of reality as science describes it, and other kinds of ancient religious texts, is that those texts don't change. The text of science, what science says about reality, is constantly being refined, being, being questioned and revisited and made to align with reality. So you've got this text that's constantly being checked against how the universe actually works. And so it evolves. It, but always always in the direction of being better aligned with reality, hopefully. So, yes, yeah, science has been abused in the past. I mean, there were all kinds of scientific things that sort of buttressed racism. And, and now, to some extent, old science is being used to sort of bludgeon transgender people. But at its, at its best, and even, I think, most of the time, it evolves and it gets better and, 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 and goes deeper gets closer with how reality works. Let me just give you an example. So I, I have this new language around some of this stuff. I, I use the terms revelations and insights. So science reveals stuff. And here's a couple examples. I now know from science, this is a revelation, not an insight. I'm not interpreting here. We know for a fact that every living thing on this planet is a distant cousin of mine. We know that all the atoms that make up my body came from supernova stars that exploded and created those heavier elements during the explosion. We know that the force of gravity between my body and every other thing that has mass extends forever, connecting me with the entire universe. We know that my body is part of the water cycle. It's part of the carbon cycle and so on, all the cycles that go on in the earth. So those are the revelations. Those are things that science has revealed about reality. Now, I can take those and treating them a little bit like a text or a scripture or a source of knowledge, and I can interpret them. I can look at those, those four examples and say, wow, there's a pattern here that has something to do with kinship and interconnection in nature. And that pattern flies in the face of, or it, it kind of provides a counter or an antidote to my Euro-American's culture that seems to really highly value separation and individuality and, and the differences and the, and the distances between people and other processes in the earth and that sort of thing. So there's an interpretation there, okay? Interconnection and kinship are, seem to be really big patterns in nature. Now, some people might hear that and interpret it as, oh, if every living creature is my cousin, then we shouldn't eat animals because we don't eat our cousins, right? Somebody else might look at that exact same set of facts and interpret it differently and say, you know, well, plants are our cousins too, and we got to eat something, right? So just like with religious scripture, interpretations will vary a little bit. But the difference here is that everybody's starting from the same place. We're starting from a scripture or a source of knowledge that is shared. I don't hear people, even the, the most religious fundamentalists out there, claiming at this point in history that the earth is flat, right? It takes a little time. Sadly, some people still <laughs> claim that. <laughs> there are some, but, but they're not doing so from a religious perspective. 
Right. right? Okay. Doing it because I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what their thing is, but <laughs> I cannot claim to speak for them. Yeah. So over time, the findings of science, the revelations, do find themselves into the common, the common dialogue, if not the common culture. And what I'm, what I'm promoting or or suggesting, is that people look for patterns in them, and and use that to inform how they think about the world and their place in it. So, you know, what would it mean to really recognize at a gut level that I am cousins with every living thing on this planet? What does that mean for my diet? What does that mean for agriculture? What does that mean for where I shop? And on and on. The same way that people do that with an ancient religious text. You know, they read it and they they ask themselves, what does this mean for me? So... Okay. And, you know, I could go on and on about other revelations and other insights, but that's that's sort of an example of a starting place. Okay, so that is basic, the basis of religious naturalism as you're talking about it, or is that a separate concept? Um, it's related, but I didn't invent the word, the phrase religious naturalism. Um, okay. Religious naturalism has been around for a long, long time, but it's really just starting to gain some sway at this point. I can't speak for all religious naturalists, but as a sort of as a quick introduction, the sort of the tagline for the Religious Naturalist Association is taking nature to heart. So we're grounded in this idea that reality is what we share. It's what we have in common. We're not going to convince each other about the nature of the metaphysical or the supernatural. And we probably shouldn't try. But what we have in common is the natural world. So let's start there. Let's see what what we can let's see what religious sentiments we can gain from studying the natural world. So all that to say that many or most religious naturalists are atheists, people that that do not subscribe to any other, you know, any metaphysical stuff at all. But it's an inclusive way of thinking about things. It it doesn't exclude people who are new age in orientation or or are theistic or, or whatever, but it, it does say our starting place, the place where we're going to together seek for that really profound, heartfelt stuff is the natural world as science describes it. Okay. Have, well, let me ask you, have you moved from teaching full-time to really teaching this stuff full-time or what has that yes. journey been like? Okay. Yeah, I'm no longer in the K-12 classroom full-time. Okay. So. And is that because of the importance of doing this kind of work at this time, or what? What sort of? What was the it's path a, to making it? It's a combination of things. The community, the school community that I was in, was moving in a different direction, and I was also being drawn in this direction. And so it, it just—it was the right time to do something different. Okay. So. So how does one, or how do you, go about presenting this work and and having an impact and where where are people sort of ready to hear this kind of message and start to and take it in? I think it's different for everybody. People are in all different places. But I, I do think that, I don't mean geographic places, but in terms of what they're looking for. But I think a lot of people look out at the world and and say, something needs to change. Something's got to give here. But the way we're treating the earth and each other just isn't working that well. And traditional religions aren't really 
cutting the mustard when it comes to addressing that. They don't, well, they're divisive because those ancient texts don't evolve and because people interpret them so differently. I feel like I'm not answering the same question you asked. Uh, well, no, I mean, I, well, that is one thing, but I guess my question is, this is a really powerful core message. And I'm just wondering what your next steps are. Are you writing a book? Are you teaching <laughs> in a pla you know, places where, because there are people who will hear this message who I think already have heard this message. And uh -huh. then there are a whole lot of people who are just in a different universe from it, <laughs> you know? Yes. So I'm wondering what the, what the path is. What, how do we do this? <laughs> oh, Robin, I wish I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm moving in several diff different directions at the same time. Um, I've just started a, an initiative with singer-songwriter Daryl Purpose. It's called The Great Turning Roadshow. The website is done, and we've done a, a prototype of it. It's an evening event. It's a concert. It's live music with some science and spirituality in between songs. And the first time we did it, it was a huge hit. And so we're looking to, to do more of that. That I'm sounds speaking. great. I was just listening back to the old interview, and you were talking about wanting to do that, and he wasn't ready yet. So that's uh, yeah. progress. Yeah. That's I'm speaking almost every Sunday in some church or another. Progressive churches are very open to this. A, a lot of people are, are recognizing that, that we need a new way of thinking about ourselves and our place in the cosmos. And this is, this is one option. This has... Science has something to contribute to that. And I think usually the message works best when it allows people to experience the awe and wonder that I experience from, from the revelations. And then I leave them to, uh, to draw their own insights from it. So that music and speaking in churches and workshops, I've been doing quite a few workshops, again, related to culture. So almost any topic you could think of that relates to science and religion, like death, our culture's approach to death is just really weird. It's just so aberrant compared to, to other cultures, even current world cultures, but especially indigenous cultures and our own European, my own European pre-agriculture ancestors. I mean, just evidenced by how long they lived sustainably. And for, for hundreds of thousands of years, humans lived sustainably on the earth. And just in the last 10,000 years, something about our culture has put us really at war with our own environment. And um, so part of what I've been doing in the last couple of years is, is asking that question, how did this happen? How did we get like this? Because it's it, it's us. It's internal to us. I don't think it's human nature. I think there's something about our culture and whatever that is. And I have, I have glimpses of some answers, but whatever that is, we took it, that defect, and we've now, through colonization, spread it to almost all of humanity. And a hint of that comes from a book by Resma Menicum called My Grandmother's Hands. Have you read it? Mm-mm. There's a lot of buzz right now around trauma, this idea of trauma and how it messes with us, makes us essentially mentally ill in ways that are hard to recognize. Sure. And he asked that same question, what is it about Euro-Americans? He's black, 
And what is it about their culture that allows them to do such brutal, to, to visit such brutality on the other people around them? And the answer he came up with really resonated for me, and it has to do with the Middle Ages. If you know anything about, or, or even begin to look into conditions for average people in Europe during the Middle Ages, it was awful. All the worst kinds of torture and and just oppression you can imagine visited on us by the nobles of whatever region of Europe you were from, the nobles and the church together. And before that, the Romans oppressed and occupied and were, were incredibly brutal to the people of Europe. So after 1,500, maybe 2,000 years of generation after generation after generation suffering trauma, what, what, what now we would describe as horrific trauma, and never resolving it. After the Renaissance, people didn't, there was no Truth and Reconciliation Commission <laughs> at the end right. of the Middle Ages. People just went on. Some, the lucky ones escaped and came to the colonies, wherever those were all over the world. And then Europe gradually became more healthy in terms of how people treat each other. But we didn't resolve that. And one thing we know now from studying the science of trauma is that it telescopes through generations. If it's not addressed, if it's not faced and, and dealt with properly, it continues. And we see this in dysfunctional families all, all the time. And when you think about the kinds of, of dysfunctions that show up in families that have experienced intergenerational trauma, you can see those exact same things at the national level. So nations that have experienced intergenerational trauma and have built cultures and economies and all those things, all those systems that allow a civilization to work, when they are based on a culture that's been traumatized, this is what we see. Mm-hmm. So I've been speaking about that as well, trying to help people, first of all, recognize that they have a culture and then to analyze what values do we, you know, most people share the same values. The question is, how do they prioritize them? So even conservatives and, and progressives, trying to think of an example here, environmental stewardship. It's not that conservatives hate the environment and want to destroy everything. It's that given a choice between, for example, private property rights and protecting the environment, conservatives give a little more weight to the private property rights and the economy and jobs and that sort of thing. And progressives tilt that balance the other way. So I, I think we need to look at what are the values that we prioritize as a nation and ask, where did they come from? And if they're rooted in trauma, how do we, how do we undo that? And Science can help with that. We can look at, we can ask, if we want to be better aligned with the way the world works, let's look at how the world works first and then see how we can shift that balance of values to be better aligned. Mm -hmm. I could absolutely see that being discussed in, you know, even if it is in small groups to start. I mean, that is kind of where mm -hmm. it's starting. I think that is a lot of what helps get getting individuals to see something and talk about it and share it and actually teach it. Like I, I was sort of shocked to realize that my generation was taught empathy and cooperation and it wasn't just a thing that people have. It's that we all watch mm. Sesame Street, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that was kind of interesting to realize that like we, certain 
young, younger, well, not all younger generations, but there's a segment of millennials that, that didn't get that because it was taught mm. differently by the time that came, mm. they came around and things like that. And it's, it's uh, so those things have an impact. Yeah. You know? And it does feel like just what it, it, I didn't know I was in the water as you put it, you know, it's uh-huh. like, that's just yeah. what it was. <laughs> Well, cooperation is another really good example where science can actually contribute something because, again, it evolves. So when you and I were in school, we were taught survival of the fittest and evolution is all about competition. Right. And now we know that's not the case. It's part of the case. It's part of the story. But cooperation has played a much bigger role in the development of life's complexity on this planet. And so there's a a question we can ask. How does our culture balance cooperation and competition? Well, it turns out the best way to balance those is to be cooperative in a competitive environment. So you don't necessarily throw markets out the window, even if you could. But you ask, how can we be more cooperative within a competitive marketplace? Right. So... I want to, and I do think you're doing good work, and I, and I want to see if you think there's a difference between what you're talking about and situations where science is distorted or co-opted to teach something spiritual. It might be Can a you fine give an example. Idea. Yeah, I'm thinking of what the bleep do we know? <laughs> I wondered if you were going to ask about that. Things like that, where I think, I think when I first saw this, I felt I didn't really analyze it very much. But then in later times, I've sort of found it. And I've heard people discuss things like it about it being, well, manipulative, I think is the term. Because it sort of has a, a, a new age worldview. And then it says, oh, well, physics just proved this. But it, physics really isn't about the business of proving that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know how you think about it. And also they took it way, way out of context. I mean, scientists, at least physicists who know about about quantum realities, despise that movie generally. Right. (laughs) And this is a film, 15 years ago or 20, I don't know. About, yeah. You have to get the science right. You have to include scientists in what you're what you're working when you when you do the interpretation and interpretations are going to vary they just are same as interpreting anything so yeah there's a there's a reason that there what at last count like 222 different denominations of christianity <laughs> on the planet you know wow. same texts but lots and lots of different ways of reading it with science there are going to be different interpretations but that particular movie and and there are lots of other people other movements that take some small piece of the scientific puzzle and then extrapolate and and go far beyond what the science would really allow and I think that that makes this dialogue harder because it, it puts scientists in the position of of having to poo-poo all of that, even when for them personally, there's a meaningfulness there that, that might might have real value. But our, especially with social media now, things tend to get simplified into sound bites and talking points, and it, it makes it even harder to have a real dialogue. Right, right. Well, what do you think are some of the places people can go for resources and things we can do to sort of further this, this dialogue, as you say. Well, a friend of mine named Ursula Goodenough, who's a biologist, 
And one of the officers of the Religious Naturalist Association has a book that's coming out in just a few weeks. It's a second edition of the book called The Sacred Depths of Nature. Sacred Depths of Nature, second edition. And I've seen bits and pieces of the manuscript before, before it came out. And it's a great resource for hard science, sticking with the scientific consensus, but also recognizing the implications and the, and the profound ramifications it could have for how we see ourselves in relationship with the rest of the world in religious ways, to experience nature in religious ways. Very cool. All so right. That's, that's one place. If people are interested in more about this, they could go to the Religious Naturalist Association website. It's just religiousnaturalism.org and see if it resonates for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we'll certainly give your info and let people know you're sort of talking, speaking in and around Pennsylvania for now, or? Oh, I'm, by remote, I'm speaking all over the country. Okay, so beautiful. It's, yeah. People can sign up for my newsletter at my website. That's just jdstillwater.earth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and would I, you know, if people are listening to this podcast, presumably it means that they care about the future of the world and humanity. <laughs> and, so. Uh, and so whether it's related to the things I've been talking about or something else, let me just say, keep it up and thanks for your work. And we've got a lot of work to do. It's, it's looking to me like we have a short time span to make a difference on climate change, at least. And so keep, keep it up. Hopefully we'll, we'll pull through on this thing. Thank you very much for that inspiration. Thanks, J.D. You're welcome. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from J.D. Stillwater, and he asked this probably last year, and it's been sitting in our queue. <laughs> and I figured, why not today? And his question is, is it too early or too late to begin grieving the loss of so many species, ecosystems, and increasingly likely human civilization? And part B of this question is, how do we manage the vicarious trauma of watching our own nation consistently do the wrong things to prevent these losses? <sighs> these are not trivial questions. <laughs> no. It's not like, what are you doing over the holidays or something that we get to sometimes in these, no. this segment. I feel like I don't know how to grieve something that huge. I do sometimes, you know, if, it, if there's a news item that people, someone says, you know, we've, this species has not been seen in, you know, 10 years or something. I mean, it's, it's, I do, I feel, I think I feel it in little moments like that when there's yeah. a specific announcement about a species that like we've lost. The black rhino. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there is one, I believe there is still one left, but it's a male. So there mm. will be no more. And, and I remember when I read that, it made me sad yeah. But it's, it's not something, it's, it's a different kind of grief than like losing a family member or a loved one. It's, 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 it, it's a different flavor. And it's something that actually can be pushed aside a lot more easily, you know, and that's kind of, 
how I manage that particular grief because it's easily pushed aside because it's not something that you're confronted with every day. You know, like when you lose a, a family member, it's like you catch yourself like saying, oh, they would like this if you see a thing you would buy for them or or that that, you know, oh, I have to tell so and so something. And then you remember like, oh, yeah, they're dead. I can't tell them anything now. So like with the rhino, it's like, yeah, when I think about it, I get sad, but it's not one of these prevalent grief moods that you get that lasts for days or weeks or whatever. Right. Which I think but is, I, I think that's part of the challenge with having people act on environmental issues because it's so ginormous that you often people don't fixate on a particular species or creature or something like that. So, you know, I get like a general on we about it all or something, but then I feel like there's nothing immediate to do about it, but there are right. things we can do about it. And yes, I, yes. So that's, I tried to get to that place. I think my biggest thing has just been when I feel that kind of helplessness, like think about, is there something I can do? Is there something I can donate to? Is there something I can, you know, plant something that helps butterflies? <laughs> I mean, whatever. But I don't know about what to do about the, you know, the United States doing the wrong thing all the time. Do you have thoughts about yeah. that? Wendy? I do. Yeah. I do. Well, I mean, part of it is you have to educate yourself to know what the right thing to do would be. Because, like you said, some of these issues are so huge. I mean, they're global. And it's it feels like you're only this one ant and there's this whole thing happening. And, and you know, your influence, your, your specific individual influence is so minuscule that you don't think it's ever going to make a difference but you have and to I think that's partly true that, because in the sense that you know we're yeah. being sold like oh just pick up your aluminum cans and you're doing great but that's not yeah that's not enough. yeah <laughs> you no, know? I, and and it's and that's not what's going to save us and right. and a lot of a lot of the environmental problems are on an industrial scale, you know, I think, I think part of it is becoming a more aware voter and electing people who make policy and who make the laws, have them be more concerned with the environment and and how we're going to still have a planet to raise another generation on oh you know to that that's the priority over you know somebody some billionaire's bank account because i think right now we're we're in a situation where the ultra wealthy are making the policy decisions you know for the planet and they kind of think they're going to survive this. Hmm. You know, and everyone else can just go die. You know, when the world becomes uninhabitable. Hmm. And, you know, we have to, we have to get away, we have to get away from 
the plutocracy that we're living in globally. Part of it is the fight is the fight against fascism as well, because mm -hmm. that's the the very small group of people telling everybody else what to do, and it's for their benefit and nobody else's. And we have to we have to speak up. We have to not be complacent about the things that are that are happening that are wrong. Like mm. in all of the arenas. I mean, it's exhausting. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And the question is really about how to, how are we managing those emotions? And I think part of it is about being active, you know? And I don't know, it's like a weird combination because I think I need to take mental breaks from it, but I also do agree that staying engaged is really what's going to be relevant moving forward. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, if you stop, if you, if you become passive about it and complacent about it, then the people who have been wrecking up the place for generations are going to continue to do so because right. there's money to be made. You know, we need, we need another Teddy Roosevelt for, we need an environmental Teddy Roosevelt. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> somebody like him i don't know i mean i'm just thinking about teddy and or, that could also teddy or, well oh, we okay. need a teddy we need a teddy to bust up the big companies right and then we need a franklin <laughs> <laughs> and then we need a franklin to you know to to equalize <laughs> it's very socialist wendy um <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's not I'm, a dirty word around here. <laughs> I know, I know. And we need a, a Franklin to fix the other things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think, um, yeah, the, all these topics are bigger than my brain can hold right now. <laughs> so I think I'm going to sign off. Sounds Honestly. like a good plan. Thank you for joining us for our cheery show. <laughs> 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 and I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And let me know if you're on Discord. I like to hang out there as well. And uh, maybe we can connect there where I am, Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. You, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs. I mean, I have an account, but I have not been on Twitter in months basically since <laughs> elon took over i check it like once a month and i go okay i'm don't want to be here and i'm also on etsy at wendy cards with a z and remember you could always reach out to us on social media at leftscape so please send us your questions and we might answer it on an upcoming show so until next time be well stay active and keep left You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>